0: 7.6 billion now that's a big number that's how many people they are on earth in the u.s alone estimates say that out of 328 million there are nearly 246 million lost souls men women boys and girls that don't know jesus those numbers seem big but what if we were to focus on the number one The Bible tells us that heaven rejoices every time one person comes to know Jesus. What if we were to focus on the daily conversations, those everyday meaningful interactions for Christ that can truly make an eternal difference in someone's life? We can reach our nation with the gospel. We can reach the millions. We can reach our friends and family and neighbors by starting with one. Who's your one? That's what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks here at First Baptist. And I remember in looking back over my life, I remember those individuals God used so clearly and, and speaking to my heart as a, as a non-believer, somebody who didn't have a relationship with Christ, was not following Christ. I remember the individuals that he used to to influence me to into a relationship with Christ. And in fact, I remember what they did, I remember what they said, and I bet that some of you have similar memories. She's going to in the years to come as well. Um, Those of you who know my story will will know a lot of this, but others of you will not. I didn't grow up in a Christian family, and the first influence I remember, the earliest one was when I was in first grade, and it was an elderly lady back in the 1960s who would come to our school periodically, and she had this, this... some of you young people won't know what I'm talking about. It was a machine. It was a real to real tape machine. How many of you know what a real to real tape machine is? All right. It just plays music or records. Oh, for you young ones, you go Google it and you'll figure it out. Basically, and she'd set that up there and she'd, she'd play music on it and she'd lead our classes in singing these Christian songs, which were all new to me. I'd never heard them before. And uh, then she had an easel, a stand, and she put a board on it. It was it was a, a flannel board. How many of you know what a flannel board is? All right, teenagers, go Google that. It's it's a board with cloth that you stick little cut-out figures to, and you would do that to tell a story back before the days of computers and technology and all this stuff. And so she'd sing these songs, and she put those little figures up there, and she would tell these Stories from the New Testament, these stories about Jesus. And so I'm in first grade, second grade, third grade, and I can still see her. I can still hear her because she had this high, uh, what do you call you singers, what do you call the high-pitched voice, the soprano type? She'd be real high, you know, up there where I could never reach. And she'd sing and she'd tell those stories, and I can still see it in my mind. Another one of those uh, persons God used, you've heard me talk about was my uncle Donald Eugene Pruitt who lived in Detroit, Michigan, would visit us in Kentucky every year. I, I can remember so many conversations. I remember sitting in a chair in his lap as a little boy and him helping me memorize John 3, 16 and him explaining to me about Jesus dying on the cross. I remember those conversations. I remember the times he invited me to church and I said no. And I remember the disappointment on his face. I remember when I was in eighth grade and we were changing rooms between classes one day and Norma Jean uh, was all excited talking about how she had gone to church. It was a revival, a weeknight service, and she was all excited about that. And in her enthusiasm, she looked at me straight in the eye. She said, Steve, that's what you need. And without thinking, I blurted out, no, I don't. I remember that. But I also remember that on the inside, Thinking she's right, I do. And I still remember I was in the the second desk in the middle of the classroom, sophomore year high school, geometry class. And Evelyn was in the desk in front of me. We were friends, she turned around and she was pretty, and she said, If you come to church tonight, you can sit with me. <laughs> that worked. I went to church with her. And as they say, you know, the rest of the story, you know, I've given my life to Christ. And there's other conversations, other individuals, but I remember those people who were the, the one. And what God normally does is you're a one talking to someone, but what God usually does is he weaves together some different ones in our lives to bring us to faith in Christ. And I am so thankful that each of the ones in my life did their part instead of chickening out. Because what if the lady had come to the school and told the Bible stories? What if my uncle had continued to invite me to church when he'd come to our home on vacation? What if, well, I never saw Norma Jean after I graduated eighth grade. haven't seen her since. But well, what if Evelyn had not turned around that day and, and been one in my life? It's how life works. How, it's how God works. It's how God uses us. It's one on one, but we're never alone. God always has people doing this work. But you are part. You are part of His plan. Now I want you to think back over your life. Who is one? In your life that spoke to you, that invited you, that said something to you, that prompted you toward Jesus Christ. Do you have a name? Can you? Do you have a name in your mind right now? One person. There may have been more than just one. Like I have multiple ones. But one. Do you know one person? Call their name out loudly right now. Who's who's the one in your life? Loudly. The one. Everybody. Well, God's the big one. But we all have them. If we know Jesus, if we know Christ, God uses people to help us. And and I know there are people on your hearts who do not follow Christ, do not know Christ, and you're concerned about them because several months ago, many of you put their names and information on cards like this and brought them to the altar. You've been praying for them. and, And since then, I've been praying for the names you turned in that Sunday. These are the cards you wrote their names and that information on. So I know there are people on your heart for whom you're concerned. So what about the seven plus months remaining in 2019? Is it possible? Is it possible for you to be the one in another person's life? Just like Evelyn was the one in my life, Norma Jean, was a one in my life. Is it possible that between now and the end of this year, you can be somebody else's one? You can. You can be one that God uses to move that person toward faith in Christ. Is it possible? Do you? Do you are you interested in that? Are you interested in being a one in somebody else's life? You see, that's, that's what it really means to follow Jesus. So if you have your Bible, open with me to the Gospel of John chapter 1. There are so many examples, so many examples in Scripture showing God working to bring people to faith and to salvation this way. And we're going to look at just one example this morning. We'll look at some more uh, in the weeks to come. But John chapter 1, let's read together starting at verse 43. The Bible says the next day he, that's Jesus, purposed to go into Galilee. And he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter. And so earlier he had called Andrew and Peter, and now Philip. Philip becomes one of Jesus' twelve disciples. And after he begins to follow Jesus, and verse 45 Philip found Nathanael. They were good friends. And said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He's saying, we've found the Messiah that was prophesied in the Old Testament, the Christ, the coming one, and it's Jesus. And uh, notice Nathaniel's response in verse 46. Nathanael said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Naz- Nazareth was just a, a small... Way out there, no place, small town. Nothing important happens out there. No one significant will come from there. And I love the way Philip responded. He said, Well, come and see for yourself. He didn't try to argue with him, persuade him. He just said, Well, come and see. And that's what happened. So in verse 47, while they were making their way, it says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and he said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed and whom there is no deceit, no falsehood. Nathanael said to Jesus, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered Jesus, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. You are the Messiah. You're the one we've been looking for. Now, Philip and Nathanael were friends because in the Gospels, Every time you see a list of the 12 disciples or these men mentioned, their names are always together. They were just good friends. And so Philip is the one who invited his friend Nathaniel. And so if Nathaniel was standing here today and he he was to tell his story, who's the one? Who's the one person? Who's the one that God used to move you toward Jesus, to bring you in toward Christ so you could have a relationship with him? Nathaniel would say it was Philip. Now, in John's gospel, he's known as Nathanael. When you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he's known as Bartholomew. And so some people say, well, what's going on? They're two different people? No, it's the same guy. Nathanael, think of Nathanael like his first name. Barth- Bartholomew like his surname. For us, it would be a, a last name. It literally means the, the son of Ptolemy, it's the son of Ptolemy. And so literally it's Nathanael, the son of because in their times, people were often identified publicly by who their father was. So they are the son of, and it could be the son of their father, the son of their grandfather. It's just like, that's, you know, Hogsboy, whatever, if you could. And, and so it's Nathaniel, the son of Ptolemy. So in Matthew, Mark, Luke, he is Bartholomew. In Nathaniel, he's called by his, and John, rather, by his first name, which is Nathaniel. But it's the same person and as i said they're always together. Now notice how the story starts. The story starts with Philip becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. And isn't it interesting that when Jesus invited people to follow him, the natural the natural outgrowth of that, the natural consequence of that was they invited others. That when someone became a follower of Jesus, it was just second nature to them. They would turn around and then invite others into a relationship with Christ. Let me tell you who I've met. Let me tell you what I've learned about him. Let me tell you about my experience. Let me share with you how he's changed my life. Let me invite you to come and meet him, come and learn about him, come and see him, come and hear. It's just natural. And and in fact, brothers and sisters, the most Unnatural. The most unnatural thing for someone who's a genuine believer, follower of Jesus Christ, is to never invite someone to Jesus. That's unnatural. It's just natural that when you've encountered the living God, <laughs> it changes you. And as a disciple, as a disciple, we talk about him, and we invite others to learn about him, to come and seeing it means we have to be intentional. So just think for a moment, okay? Just think a little bit. Who's a friend that between now and the end of December, who's a friend that uh, you can occasionally have breakfast or lunch with because they don't, have a, they don't have a relationship with Christ? Between now and the end of the year, who's a neighbor you can invite to your house for dinner, for a cookout on July 4th? Between now and the end of the year, who's, a, who's a, a co-worker that you could say, "Hey, let's go to a ball game together"? Who's a relative you could connect with because they don't know the Lord, they're not following Jesus Christ? Who's who's one out there for whom you could be a, a one, and 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 just being a friend and and serving them and praying for them, and and as it as it as it. As opportunities allow, sharing your story, sharing the story of Jesus, inviting them to Father's Day service, inviting them to the celebration of freedom the last Sunday of June, and inviting kids to vacation Bible school, inviting kids to music camp. On and on I could go. Who, who are the people you could have a Christmas party with? Because they're your friends, they're your your co-workers, they're your relatives and they don't, they don't have a relationship with Christ. And to influence them, to, to help them to answer their questions, you need a relationship with them. Who, 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 who's a one that God wants to use you to help this year? Who's the one? And here's the thing, okay, get this. You are never alone when you're doing that. It's interesting, after Philip goes to his friend Nathaniel and says, hey, I, we've, I found the Messiah. Really? I don't think so. Not from Nazareth. Hey, well, come and see. It's interesting. Jesus went to work after that. In fact, Jesus was already working before Philip ever went to Nathaniel, Because Philip is on his way to Nathanael to tell him we've met the Messiah. And guess what? The story says Jesus saw Nathaniel sitting under the fig tree before Philip ever got there and said the first word. Do you understand you never talk to anybody that God's not already spoken to? Do you understand that every time God places people on your heart to love them, to serve them, to invite them, to pray for them, to share your story, to share the gospel with them, that God knows all the circumstances of their life already? That God knows things about them you don't know, and if God is directing you to do something for that one, God has a reason. God knows what you don't know. So Nathaniel, he comes with Philip. And as they're approaching before Nathaniel or Philip, either one say anything, Jesus speaks. And Jesus says, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit, no falsehood. The King James says no guile. He was a man of integrity. And something about what Jesus said really got Nathaniel's attention because the the next thing Nathaniel did was say, How do you know me? Well, you do understand Jesus knows everybody, right? But here's why that made an impression on Philip, on, on Nathaniel, because I, you see, in, in 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 that era, if you were going to study the Old Testament, which was, would have been all the Bible they had, you would the, the 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 rabbi said, go out and sit under the shade of a fig tree and read. And I can just imagine as Nathaniel was sitting there reading scripture, there was some issue. Some issue about integrity, some issue about ethics, some issue about morality, some issue about right and wrong that was turning in his mind and in his heart. And and he comes to Jesus and Jesus zeroes right in and said, there's a man that has honesty. There's a man of integrity because he knew what he was dealing with. And the reason Nathanael so quickly said, you are the Messiah, you are the king, you are the one, was he knew in that moment that Jesus knew his heart and mind better than anybody else. And Jesus knows yours. You can't hide anything from him. Jesus also knows the hearts knows the hearts and the minds of those that he's put on your heart the, the ones that you know that that one that God's bringing to your mind that that one that he wants to use you to influence this year God knows their heart God knows their mind even when you don't God does So you are never alone because Jesus is always he's always at at work and 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 the interesting thing is he speaks to people. How many of you have ever been in church? I, I have this happen to me quite often after a, a service on Sunday. I had it happen this past Wednesday after our business lunch. And come someone will come after, up to me after the service, after the sermon or whatever, and they'll say, man, how did you know I was dealing with that? Or they'll say something like, that sermon was meant just for me. Or I've had people say, were you sitting at our kitchen table last night? I mean, have you ever had an experience? You're in church, not just here, not just with me, but you've been in church. You've heard a preacher or something, and all of a sudden it's like like that whole message or whatever they were talking about, wow, it's like it reached inside you and grabbed you because it's exactly where you were dealing with what you did. Anybody ever been there? Well, let me ask you, if God can do that in the life of a Christian, why do you think God cannot do that in the life of a lost person? And by the way, did you notice that every time that happens in the life of a believer, it's after someone shares the Word of God or they read the Word of God? And so maybe the reason God is prompting you toward that one is not because of what you can see and what you can know, but because of what He sees and what He knows that's happening on the inside as well as the outside to which you're oblivious, but you're prompting, your you're Word, you're speaking. Suddenly God uses that and something happens down in there and, and and you don't necessarily see it, but God's doing it. But but when you when you when you chicken out, when you're quiet, when you don't go, when you don't obey, when you don't speak, when you don't invite, when you don't do, that opportunity is lost. Jesus is it working? He, he he speaks to people. And by the way, Jesus does what you can't. Okay, you know one of the hardest things for us to do is to try to persuade people, manipulate. We don't you don't want to manipulate people. We, we 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 put on our shoulders the pressure. I have to persuade them. I have to convince them. I have to be able to debate with them. I have to be able to answer every question. Well, who told you you had to do that? You know who told you you have to do that? Satan. So you won't do anything because you don't think you're good enough to do any of that, so you don't do anything. Notice the story. Here's Philip. He becomes a follower of Jesus. What does he do? He goes to his good friend Nathaniel and says, Hey, I found him. I want you to find him. And Nathaniel says, You're crazy. Well, that's the Steve Hogg paraphrase. What he he really said was, You're wrong because nobody like that would ever come from Nazareth. And I love what Philip did. He didn't try to convince them. He didn't say, Well, now, you know, maybe God, God can call somebody from a small town. It doesn't have to be just a big city. He didn't uh he, he didn't say, Well, let me get, let me whip out my my Old Testament and, you, and, and let me show you. He didn't do he didn't, he didn't try to convince, he didn't try to win an argument, he didn't try to debate. He said, Come and see. You know who did the convincing? Huh? Jesus. Why are you trying to do Jesus' job? He will take care of his job. You do your job. Be the one. Let Jesus be the convincer. Let the Holy Spirit do His work. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes He will convict the world meaning all the people in it who are not followers of His. He will convict them of sin righteousness and judgment of the fact that they are sinners and there's consequences of that. Of righteousness that they're not righteous because of their sin and they need to be righteous and the only way to be righteous is in Christ and of judgment that they are accountable to God. He does all that. You don't do that. He does that. You speak. You love. You invite. You share. You pray. You let God do the convincing. Because Jesus is always at work. Now, sometimes people react the way Nathaniel did because at first Nathaniel was, no, no. He eventually said, okay, I'll go check it out. Sometimes people said, no. Um, Yesterday... I was out at a local place and spoke to two people and invited them to church today. You know what they both did? They made excuses. Friday, I was eating lunch with somebody. Needs the Lord. Invited that person to church. You know what that person did? Made an excuse and very quickly changed the subject. Now here's the thing. It's not the first time I had invited either of those three, and it will not be the last. Because God's working. I'm going to let God do his work, and I'm going to keep doing what I'm supposed to do. But I'm going to do it. Maybe they will make excuses, but brothers and sisters, you and I don't have to. Why 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 do we make so many excuses to not do what Philip did to not be the one not go not invite not try why do we make so many excuses for not doing our part because you see there are some things there are some excuses in our life that we need to we need to own them we need to identify them we need to recognize them and then we need to repent of them some of us need to repent of spiritual lethargy Because the truth is we're still coming to church, but we're not really excited about Jesus. We're not growing. We're not in the Word every day. We're not hearing from God. There's spiritual lethargy. And the truth is if there's spiritual lethargy in your life, you're probably not going to invite many people to church, talk to many people about Jesus, pray for many people who are lost. And some of us need to repent this morning of the spiritual lethargy that has taken over in us. Some of us need to repent of of just giving in to to this world view of, of growing inclusiveness that says, well, all religions lead to God, so I'm not really worried about it because Scripture says, no, that's not true. And when your theology, your belief system is shaped more by the culture and the world than it is Jesus and His Word, you've got something for which you need to repent. Some of us this morning need to repent of busyness that keeps us from ever thinking about people, talking to people, inviting people, praying for people. You know, out in um, we we, just, we out in uh, San Francisco, the Golden Gate Bridge is iconic. Tours, you know, go to see it. It's a landmark. But do you know that it's it, that, that it ranks second in America for places where people take their own life? jumping off that bridge, several every year. By the time they, they hit the water, their, their body is traveling 75 miles an hour, and most of them die on impact. There was one man a while back who jumped off that bridge to his death, and in his pocket they found a suicide note. Do you, do you know what he said? One of the things he said in in his suicide note was as he was walking to the bridge, if one person had smiled at him, he was not going to jump. We're too busy to smile at somebody, to pray for somebody to invite somebody to take three minutes and share the story of what Christ has done in our lives with somebody. And if we're too busy for that, we're too busy. And anything we say to justify is an excuse for which we should repent. I'm going to go ahead and give the invitation. Because God is speaking. You know who your one is. You know what you need to do. And I hope I've encouraged you as well as challenged you, but encouraged you by reminding you that you don't have to do Jesus' job. Let him. But you do have to do yours. In your seats this morning, there was a card that looks like this. I'd like for everybody to get one. It's a card that says, who's your one? And it's perforated on this side where the blue and the white meet. You just bend it so you can tear them easily. And what I'm asking you to do In just a moment, we're going to have a time of prayer. and Brother Scott, I'm going to ask you just to softly play in just a moment, okay? But on that part that tears off, I want you to write a name. One person. One person you care about. One person for whom you'd like to be the one in their life. The remainder of this year. And when we sing our hymn of invitation... The cross will be here at the front and I'm asking you to bring your one and as a commitment to do what you can this year to lay the name of your one at the cross. And then write their name at the top of this and keep it in your Bible between now and next January as a bookmark in your Bible when you're doing your Bible reading and uh, pray for the one. And actually there's 30 days of Bible reading to help you in praying for them for the next month. So, Scott, go ahead and play. And I'm going to ask us just to take a moment of just silence before the Lord. You prepare your heart, prepare your card. And uh, then I'm going to lead us in prayer. Then we're going to stand and sing and bring our, one, our cards to the altar. The one person God wants you to smile at. God wants you to witness to.